Hi, and welcome to Embargoed. Um, this is just a little preview for episode 60, where we talk about the continuing saga of TikTok. Um, and as you all recall, Brian and I uh, recorded a few episodes in the summer of 2020 about the initial saga of trying to ban TikTok. In this week's episode, um, I, I'm joined by a special guest, Art Dicker, who's the senior counsel at RNP China Lawyers and the host of a China business podcast called Gombe. Um, and so, so Art and I talk about what's going on now with respect to TikTok. We recorded this uh, episode last Friday, April 14th. And while we were recording, uh, Montana was actually passing a law banning TikTok. Uh, and, bef- and at the start of the episode, and before we get to the discussion between Art and me about all sorts of other attempts to ban TikTok, I did want to flag that and also to just note, um, as I think we talk about a little more on the podcast, that we're going to likely keep coming back to this topic. It's not a topic that's going away anytime soon. And and while we didn't talk about state law efforts to ban TikTok, we did talk about potential um, foreign efforts to ban TikTok out of the United States efforts, which we'll also discuss. So something to listen to now and and hope you enjoy it, but also uh, something that will uh, hold for the future. Thanks a lot for listening. Welcome to Embargoed, intelligent talk about sanctions, export controls, and all things international trade for trade nerds and normal human beings alike. Today, I'm one of your hosts, Tim O'Toole, and with me is my friend, colleague, and co-host for the day, Art Dicker, who is an expert in all things China. Art, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tim. I hope I can live up to that. Um, yeah, it's a pleasure to be on. I really, I'm a big fan of the show. Good. I, and I, I'm a big fan of your podcast. I know you have a, a podcast that, that I've actually done with you a few times before. And uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's a show called Gambe, and we've, we we were thrilled to have you on. We talked about the Xiaomi case exactly. um, a, a while back, and maybe even be a bit relevant to the conversation. Yeah, today. I mean, I think we're going to ha- have a very interesting conversation today about TikTok, and uh, TikTok is back in the headlines again. Um, I think before we start, before we come up to the current. Uh, the current status of TikTok. I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of where we've been because, you know, history is uh, very helpful in understanding where we are today. Um, Back in the tail end of the Trump administration, President Trump um, issued an executive order in August of 2020 that directed the Secretary of Commerce to identify transactions involving TikTok and the executive order in, in 2020 identified TikTok and WeChat by name. Um, and the Secretary of Commerce was directed to identify transactions that would be prohibited involving TikTok. He did so in September of 2020. Basically, his order made it uh, illegal for U.S. companies to facilitate or provide services in support of downloading the uh, TikTok app in the United States. So it would have basically banned TikTok in the United States. TikTok sued in U.S. District Court, um, obtained a ruling from a district court that that uh, prohibition was illegal. And the reason it was Ill- illegal was because um, under a law that is known, uh, you know, to trade nerds as IEPA. Um, uh, it, 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 IEPA was the, the authorizing source. It's basically the authorizing source for um, all 
sanctions programs, but it was also the authorizing source for this executive order. And I shouldn't say all, there's a few that are not authorized by AEPA, the Cuba sanctions being the main one. But but so, so AIPA actually has an exception, and the exception um, prohibits the president from taking action with respect to information and information materials. It's basically a First Amendment carve out, um, you know, of AIPA. And I, since maybe some people who are listening are not trade nerds, we should mention that AIPA is the International Emergency Economic Powers Act. Um, so, so under AIPA. Uh, there's a First Amendment carve out because TikTok is an app that is used for communication and free expression. Uh, the district court in DC uh, struck down the executive order and allowed TikTok to continue much to the joy of um, teenagers and others. Everywhere. Probably not you yeah, and me. Yeah, we didn't I, I, right. <laughs> I'd have been fine either way. Um, you know, I, I, I always, I'm always a big fan of free expression. So I guess I was pulling a little bit for TikTok, but, yeah. but um, so that's, that's kind of where we were at, at, after that. Um, there has, there have been efforts to uh, come up with an order that is is a little bit broader. So th there are folk there there are focuses on the threats posed to the U.S. supply chain by um, various uh, various and it's generally framed in terms of hostile or unfriendly or competitive countries. Um, and the pre President Trump, as he was going out. Um, issued an order that re regarding the supply chain. President Biden in 2021 issued another executive order related to the supply chain. And so, and, and those supply chain orders are also thought to have kind of been made with TikTok in mind, but not so blatantly as the, the, 20, the late 2020 orders, which were expressly directed at TikTok. There hasn't been any executive action taken under either order to this point. But um, in March of 2023, so very recently, um, TikTok was in the news quite a bit. And from there, I'm going to kind of throw it over to you and let you give the perspective art of kind of what people uh, you know, on the other side of the Pacific had been seeing in connection with this most recent round of um, excitement about TikTok. Yeah, thanks, Tim. So um, I obviously can't speak for everybody, and and, and but um, my sense is there's a bit of um, I would say a rolling of the eyes is might be a good way to capture it. Um, I think people, um, you know, working in China, living in China, like myself for the last 16 years, um, have seen this issue kind of slowly develop. I think the pressure was ratcheting up for companies like Huawei and ZTE and others we've talked about along the way earlier. Um, and so I don't think it's a big surprise at this point that the pressure keeps uh, building on TikTok for people in China. They, they, they do follow it. Um, there it's known in, in China as Douyin. It's a massively successful app as well. And TikTok is a carbon copy of it um, outside of China. It's just rebranded. But um, I think in China, um, there's there's an under there's, there's first there's some sense of well, hey, you know, why can a Chinese company enter the U.S. market and operate like everyone else? It's the starting point, right? Is this some kind of discrimination, right? And of course, people will typically throw back the argument: well, there are 
play, um, apps, American apps in China that are not allowed, like Facebook and YouTube and others. And we get into the, 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 the nuances of that. Well, they couldn't comply with Chinese law. Well, that's because, you know, Chinese law requires too much of those companies to operate there. So there's, there's endless, um, it's the same debate over and over again, is what I'm trying to say among people in China, both uh, international folks like myself and, and local people in Shanghai, Beijing, big cities, um, probably outside the bigger cities in China. I don't think it's too much attention uh, about it, but people in the bigger cities is more chances, I think, to, to interact with foreigners and to have a conversation about it. So I think that's kind of the, the, wor- the, the, the feeling on the ground is um, it's a bit... Um, Kind of scratching their heads and rolling their eyes, but not not too big of a deal. It doesn't affect them directly so much. I mean, we can get into it later, but I, there are quite a few more and more Chinese companies. I think TikTok is just the tip of the iceberg as far as Chinese social apps or e-commerce apps. Uh, we've seen Temu, which is a, a, a carbon copy of Pinduoduo, which is a massively successful e-commerce app in China, get more success here. Uh, Lemon Eight is an app that is a copy of Xiaohongshu, which is a red, which is a, a kind of a young female lifestyle app in China. And that's been launched also by ByteDance, which is the parent company of TikTok. So it's going to be, people are definitely watching this to see what happens because this will affect all, potentially all Chinese apps entering the US. Well, and that's a good segue into kind of the bigger, the bigger issues that were behind this and that I think the Biden administration has kind of focused on because, you know, the, the, the efforts we talked about with the Trump administration at the tail end of the Trump administration were kind of characterized by the fact that they went after just TikTok and WeChat. But the issues that they raised, and, and there were two of them with, with TikTok, one was this issue about the Chinese government controlling content and having a role in the content. And I, and I think that was the issue that was raised and immediately kind of set off First Amendment bells in the, the lawyers who were watching those cases, because it did look like it was almost a, like, we're, we, the U.S. government, are going to shut down an app because we don't like the way that the content is being directed. But in that, that concern, I haven't seen it as much in, in a lot of the recent um, publicity. Maybe, maybe you have, but, but I, I think that the other concern is the one that is motivating the supply chain review and was actually expressly stated at the time of the the original TikTok executive order, which was the idea that uh, essentially the, the apps were being used to get data from U.S. citizens, U.S. companies, U.S. persons, and then being sent back to the Chinese government. And I, and I right. and that that I think is the underlying motivation here with respect to the TikTok, um, you know, uh, history and the TikTok um, executive orders and and drama that's gone in the United States. I think um, recently the hearings in front of Congress focused on that as well. And and one of the parts of the earlier um, TikTok story that we didn't talk about was also CFIUS. So it was it was but the CFIUS. Um, review of a bike dance acquisition in 2017 for an app called Musical.ly that I think eventually was folded into the TikTok app um, is also, I think, the CFIUS review and and it, my understanding, and it's not public, so I am just commenting on kind of the rumors that have been out there in the press, is that, that 
that review may still be going on um, with respect to CFIUS and negotiations may still be going on. But even that was seemed to be motivated by the data issue. I mean, what in in terms of you know the impression that um, you know folks from China are seeing or kind of the Chinese kind of general mood on this. What what is the impression of that rationale? I mean, is there a concern that that's really happening? Is it the concern that that you know people shouldn't care really that the government is doing that? I mean, what is how is the public mood on that? Yeah. Um, so I think um, again, hard to speak for everyone, but um, I think um, it's interesting that that Cifius case musically um, was was I think it was about a billion dollar purchase at the time, right? And obviously TikTok's valuation, even just for the U.S., would probably dwarf that. It's a private company, of course, but if it was it was publicly valued on the markets and whatnot, even that would would dwarf that. I think musically, um, of course, was always just kind of a market entry, grab some users and expand from there. And the the core technology comes from China, and the, the algorithms were developed here and i don't think there's anything necessarily nefarious about that but the the core ip i think is definitely ByteDance's ip not anything they acquired from musically um, that was just a user acquisition play i believe to speed up their growth in the us um but now if if you know Cifius, um does try to rescind that transaction retrospectively i don't i, I i'll throw the question back to you in a second sort of how does that play out? How, do, how would that actually work, right? Could, for, could TikTok, for example, just relaunch kind of Greenfield, right? Because I don't think they necessarily relied on anything that IP-wise that they acquired. But, um, but getting to that in a second, I think the, um, there's definitely a huge, uh, among the investment community, among companies which are going global in China, among... Um, any certainly anyone doing any kind of acquisition or venture capital cross border, there's a huge uh, understanding of CFIUS. And again, particularly for hard technologies, I have a lot of familiarity with the semiconductor space, having worked for Cadence Design Systems, which is software for semiconductor design for six years as their Asia Pac general counsel. So there's among industries like semiconductor, of course, it's CFIUS is everywhere. And so you're right, as it, as it, I mean, as I was starting to follow this issue um, four or five years ago when Firma was being um, deliberated and then passed, data was becoming more and more of an issue. And I think the fundamental problem for companies in China is that it essentially on the data issue, they're being asked to prove a negative in that sense. They're, the data, even if they say the data is not going to be sent out of the U.S., right? Well, there's the issue, you know, is it still being in China under China data privacy law? If there's remote access, right? If some engineer logs in remotely to data that's stored in 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 China, we have this issue come up with our clients all the time because China has actually has a relatively good data privacy law on the books now for the last couple of years. That's an export, right? So I imagine the same is true in the U.S. If engineers from Beijing log in, right? So you can have the data hosted, but you can still have remote access. So that's an issue. Um, and so I think from a Chinese company's perspective, you can say they'll never, they can say they'll never do it. They can say they have safeguards in place. They can say the government doesn't interfere in anything they do, but there's always the potential that any of those things could happen. Right. And so I think that they're from their perspective, it just at a company level, I think that they'll understand 
they can understand what the concerns are in the U.S. I don't think they're naive about that. And I think they can appreciate those concerns. But I think of the other, from their perspective, there's nothing they can do unless they just give up on the market because there's, again, they're trying to sort of be asked to prove a negative that something won't happen and no one can say that something won't happen. Right. And I think, and I think, you know, that, is the driver. It's weird that it is coming up in the CFIUS context, to be honest, because it wasn't like ByteDance purchased TikTok and that this was an acquisition of TikTok in the United States. It was kind of one piece. And as you said, maybe not even a an essential piece. Of yeah, they were flooding Facebook ads and YouTube ads. They were taking play, people directly off YouTube yep. with YouTube yep. ads, right? And so, so the, the, but, but that was the hook that the government legitimately had, as you mentioned under FIRMA, the Committee on Foreign Investment can review transactions and and that transaction was not disclosed to it. So it has the power to unwind old investment transactions, which this one was. Um, But it was, and and it it is a a, a very big concern generally of CFIUS and FIRMA, you know, put this into statute, but it was was still a concern even before FIRMA that um, foreign uh, investors, sometimes with state-owned money, but sometimes not, were acquiring access to personal data of U.S. citizens. And so that is, uh, CFIUS was kind of a good fit in the sense that the concern was the data. It was a weird fit because it was kind of just a piece of the puzzle and they were going back and unwinding one little piece, but using CFIUS to get at that piece by raising the data issue. You know, my understanding, just from what I've read in the press, is that that the the negotiations involve essentially making it so that by that TikTok would not have to prove a negative anymore because this the data would all be hosted on a U.S. server. At least from what I've read in the press, that would be Oracle server, and that what's taking so long is they're still kind of implementing that because Cepheus, you know, looked at this transaction back in twenty. 2020, 2019. It's been a while. It was under the uh, under President Trump, and um, it, it at least announced that it was going to unwind the transaction. And so, since then, my you know impression is that there are negotiations going on about how to mitigate um, you know the data concerns in a way that CFIUS would then you know agree not to fully unwind the transaction. Um, so, so I think that you know is is the, the lever, ironically, that probably is is going to accomplish or may accomplish what it is that people have said they they wanted to accomplish, which was to ensure the protection of the data as opposed to having um, TikTok be or TikTok be forced to essentially prove a negative bias by saying you know none of the data is leaving. Now they won't be able to send the data out, or at least there'll be a U.S. control over it so that it won't be that TikTok or ByteDance has to vouch for it. Well, Tim, can I throw a question back at you? Because sure. I think I think you would you being, especially being in D.C., would, would have a, your finger on the pulse a bit more about this. I mean, from what I saw of, of the congressional hearing, right, and, and from, the again, the reaction in China, certainly among people, was... Um, everyone's made up their mind already. It was kind of a, it was a, he, they didn't give the poor guy a chance to even answer a question. Exactly. Right. Uh, and, and so that, that was how that played. I think um, uh, in China was that this, these senators 
uh, even if they have legitimate concerns, are not actually interested in hearing other perspectives. It's just, which is, I, I know how Congress works. You know, I think people in China know how Congress works. It's a, it's a, um, a platform for people to, to, to speak, right? It's not necessarily a real dialogue. I, I think people get that. But, um, but I think the interesting thing I'd ask you is, even for CFIUS, right, in the mitigation measures in place with Oracle and, and so forth, do you think this ship has already sort of sailed past that option just by looking at the feeling on Capitol Hill? I mean, I know CFIUS, of course, is an executive um, action, but but do you think there's so much um, kind of folks in, in Congress that have made up their mind that they would not be happy with that, that even that outcome would not be satisfactory? It's hard to say. I mean, you know, as you point out, Art, and I, I should say, I don't speak for everyone in D.C. or the states either. I think what we're doing is kind of having a conversation about the pulse and you are, you've lived in China for many years and, and have a background in the trade area in China. So I think you're, you're a good person to try and take the pulse there as best anyone can. And I'm trying to do that here from D.C. But from the D.C. side, I think there are a couple of things going on. I mean, Congress is often for show and Congress clearly with the hearings wanted to make a statement that they're very upset about what they perceive to be this data um, privacy or data security issue that they, that TikTok is is going to be the, the face of, although there's certainly, TikTok isn't the only entity that raises that concern um, among the United States, but TikTok got to be the, the, the poster child for that at the hearings. Um, whether or not the hearings lead to legislation, you know, that's always a hard thing with Congress because they, the hearings can galvanize public opinion for a short time, but Passing legislation in the U.S. tends to be pretty hard, and especially when you have a, you know, a Republican House and a Democratic Senate just barely, and uh, you know, and a Democratic president getting them all to agree on what to do about the TikTok issue is hard. Whereas executive branch action is pretty easy. You don't need anybody to agree. You just need the president and the president's agency team to agree. And so. I suspect that if the if CFIUS comes to an, an announced resolution with TikTok whereby the data is made more secure in at least in the minds of um, Congress or in the minds of US observers because it is now housed on Oracle servers as opposed to um, to TikTok servers that are you know at least nominally owned by ByteDance that 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 will probably be enough to take the temperature down and move on to some other issue. Uh, there are a couple of pieces of legislation that are before Congress right now, um, multiple ones. I mean, I think the the one that is the most amusingly named has the acronym of the, I think it's the Anti-Social Chinese Communist Party Act is what it's the acronym, acronym boils down to. There's lots. Not trying to hide the no, ball there. And, yeah. and like, <laughs> you know, and it's, you know, it's a lot of words strung to, it's the averting the national threat of internet surveillance, oppressive censorship and influence and the algorithmic learning by the Chinese Communist Party Act. So they did have to do a lot of, um, a, a lot of maneuvering in order to get this <laughs> anti-social CCP Act acronym that they were looking for. Um, but, mm. you know, and there's you know, there's also something called the, the Data Act, which is really focused more on data protection than, you know, directly going after um, uh, uh, 
you know, Chinese data protection. It's more, it's broader than that. Um, it, there's also, you know, the stopping attempts by foreign entities to target youths on social media act, or again, safety on social media act. So another acronym that is kind of, they get to by very, um, indirect means it's security exactly as well. yeah. but but <laughs> but i think the gist of some of these pieces of legislation would essentially be to overrule the the TikTok uh litigation by narrowing mm. this uh free speech exception to aipa or the information no materials information or taking it out of aipa altogether yeah or taking it out altogether it, it, it's it you know the in the the original TikTok decision, the judge did mention that there's no national security exception to to the informational exemption, and you know now that's what Congress has kind of taken off on doing. I, I actually tend to think that um, that sort of legislation is is unnecessary because I, I you know I viewed the outcome of the uh, of of the TikTok litigation as the president is trying to put TikTok out of business, and there's a free speech aspect to it because there have been discussions about problems with the content being controlled, and so yeah. so it was kind of a pure free speech where the law was directed at one company that was yeah. you know quintessential example of free expression. Um, it's a it's a bill of attainder, it, I think, is the old school. No, term, no, exactly. Right? You, you so so yeah. I actually thought. Have, have thought all along that if if done right, you know, where you have an executive order that is much more like the one that President Biden issued in April of uh, 2021, that is directed at protection of data, and, and that's the national security hook, and it's not directed at particular companies, but is directed at that issue. And then the Commerce Department, you know, takes more than a month, and obviously it's taken way more than a month now, but actually does some study in, in the TikTok executive order they took a month and came back and lo and behold yeah. the remedies that they proposed were to put tiktok out of business in the u.s but but if they came back with some kind of company neutral measures that were really designed to protect data i, I think that that litigation gets much more difficult and probably comes out a different way even if the result is the same you know where it's not so clear that the purpose of what the president is doing is to put tiktok out of business but instead is actually really focused on protecting data and data alone regardless of what company is you know is potentially taking the data out of the united states to to another country like that i think that probably would have come out differently even under the current in the current state of aipa and so like i'm not sure that this legislation is necessary and and it may be that part may be taken over by events because you know we do have the the commerce department with this um supply chain executive order that is working on um measures that could be proposed to come out um that would lead to the same result and so congress wouldn't necessarily need to go down this route now still that could be challenged under IEPA because that those measures would are, are that executive order is still an IEPA executive order, but um, but at least with, with but I, but I think that that would you know it might come out it, it might get upheld under IEPA I think it probably would if they do this correctly, so you wouldn't need that legislation so you know they they it would go mm -hmm. away that because you, you don't need to take out the IEPA exception exception which I think would be a good result because 
eliminating the yeah. IEPA, you know, basically free speech exemption just to go get TikTok strikes me as really bad. Throwing policy. the baby baby out to, to what's the expression? Throwing the bath baby in the bathwater exactly, out together, whatever exactly. that expression is. Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly it. So, you know, and then it, I, I do think there's some chance that some of this other legislation goes forward, either this data act or the restrict act where essentially you have Congress getting in the game of trying to protect data. I, 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 I will say, you know, that unlike it sounds like, you know, what happened in China, I mean, the United States has very weak data protection laws at the federal level. And so the idea that a data protection law could get through, um, you know, I, I haven't seen any evidence of that in the past, but these, these seem to be making some dent. And I think the president came out um, or the, the, the State Department came out in favor of this restrict act um, that is bipartisan and, and also focuses on supply chains. It is a little more directed at TikTok, um, but it is also, you know, a data privacy protection and supply chain protection. Um, it's framed in the same way as the executive order. It's just Congress getting into the business. But I, I, right. I, I'm always skeptical that legislation like this will get through, but it could be added to a, you know, a must pass bill and, and get through that way. So you just never know, but it does, I haven't seen a ton yeah. of momentum for either of them here at this point. It's interesting if, you know, for if, if, if this case triggered the finally kind of have, as you said, having a more comprehensive data privacy law, that would, that would be a great outcome because I think it's sorely needed. And China didn't have one for the longest time. And then finally, a couple of years ago, modeled their new laws after uh, GDPR essentially in Europe, um, and those have become quite robust, and they've been used right. um, against Chinese companies and, and foreign companies. I mean, Didi, I think, is the classic one people have heard about um, the ride-sharing app in China. So it's so there is a growing awareness in China of, of as well of data privacy concerns and what these big so-called super apps can do. WeChat is the is the the superest of all the super apps. It can do basically run your whole life through WeChat if you wanted to, uh, paying for things and ordering things and so forth. So um, so I think that there is a awareness in China that these companies are getting too big. Um, in fact, there's some push by the government for these companies to sort of uh, break themselves up a bit. Alibaba recently in the news on that. And so I think there is awareness at the government level. There's an awareness at the street level, even people among themselves having more and more of a conscious uh, awareness of, of data privacy um, issues, um, probably starting from some ways a lower level of kind of expectations about privacy. I think I don't think I'm being too controversial to say that um, in China, um, but but still an awareness is growing fast about data privacy. It's it's ironic. I mean, you know, in the U.S., if there was there was this push for a broader data privacy regulation, I think as you mentioned, constitutionally it would be on much stronger ground. Right, you wouldn't have issues of due process where the the, the, tr the executive orders were kind of rushed. Um, you wouldn't have the bill of attainder issue where they're targeting trying to punish one company. I know there's potentially national security is 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 taken out take, takes these out of bill of attainder land, but um, all of these issues which were flawed from that that Trump executive order would, would presumably be solved. I do think you'd still have, and again, you're more of an expert. I think you're still going to have First Amendment issues. Um, for anything that is a comprehensive data privacy regulation, right? If you're talking about the, some of the acts you mentioned, which are focused on, you know, quote, foreign adversaries or, or certain 
types of platforms. I understand, again, being a bit more of a novice on this, that where you're talking about regulating certain kinds of speech, right, certain types of speech, certain kinds of expression, right, that that's what uh, constitutionally I believe that's strict scrutiny. Right. That's a very high standard, right, which is very, you know, compelling government interest uh, necessary to achieve compelling, very high standard. But then I think some of these, the idea that that uh, you could use an intermediate scrutiny standard for for cases where it is just the the regulation on speech is incidental to the regulation right so the focus of these regulations has to be i think on the data issue as a national security issue and as an a broad um focus not focusing on one particular company or type of companies but as you, I think you're saying, that might be very hard. That's a big challenge for Congress to pass anything, especially something like yeah, that. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, I think that, but but that's where ultimately, if a, if they were able to essentially either Congress or the Commerce Department under the supply chain order were able to come up with a scheme that basically just focused on the data issue and might put out put out of business some companies that are in, in the in the business of information and informational communication, but also might put out uh, companies that are not in that business. It's just essentially yeah. a neutral law that affects all sorts of companies. And the fact that it affects a company that is in the business that it has First Amendment protections would be a lot less remarkable. It certainly would would give the government a, a much stronger hook to defend the law by saying this isn't regulation of speech. This is a regulation of data. And the fact that they actually are, you know, a company that might engage in speech at some point, good for them, but they still have to abide by the law that everybody else abides by in order to, to do that. And again, I, I you know, I, I don't pretend to be an expert in, in First Amendment intermediate scrutiny, but I, I do know that that would give the government a lot stronger hook than they had in the original TikTok litigation where, you know, it was, you know, it, it, whether or not it was legally a bill of attainder, it is exactly the issue that the bill of attainder clause is designed to get at, which is we had a law that was directed at one company, basically, and was, was yeah. its stated purpose was to put that company out of business. And then when you add to it that that company was in the business of providing a platform for free expression, like it was a, it was a real, they, they gave the Justice Department a lot uh, a, a lot to defend all at the same time. So it's not that surprising that A, the case came out like it did and B, you know, that it wasn't even defended on appeal. I mean, nobody tried to, to challenge that and take it up. And the courts are looking for a way to rule on something that's not controversial, right? So the fact that like the, the I believe in those cases, right, where the, the IEP exceptions were, were triggered, that was the grounds because that's much easier to rule on than trying to make some broad, you know, determination on, on levels of scrutiny and, and whatnot, because that's much more exactly. precedent setting. Exactly. Is the issue. No, this was, th th that made it, that, that exception made it a lot easier for the court since they didn't have to go to the first amendment and whether or not a Chinese company would have first amendment protected rights to engage in, you know, a platform for, for free expression. Now, obviously TikTok is an American company, but owned overseas. Um, but, but I think that, you know, I, I think that that is really kind of where I, I see things coming down on this is there's a lot of noise and a lot of p potential reform, but the challenge, you know, if they, and this is why I, I, at the end of the day, I'll be surprised if it really goes anywhere. The challenge that I see is, um, 
to, if you want to make a data privacy law in the United States that applies actually to not just to, you know, non-U.S. companies, but applies to U.S. companies, there is a very ingrained data collection industry in the United States that will have something to say about legislation like yeah. that and probably a lot to say about it. And given all of the players that you need to be in favor of it to get legislation through now because of the bipartisan nature of Congress at this point, it just, it, it strikes me that I'd be surprised if a broader law like that would be able to get through because there's just so many levers that you can pull in the U.S. system to stop legislation if that's all you're trying to do that I'd be surprised right. that they they couldn't stop it. And there certainly is an, appears to be a strong lobby for the um, data collection, um, the, 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 yeah. the pro-data collection, anti-data privacy in the U.S. I mean, at, at least in my view, that's why we don't have a data yeah. privacy law. Well, they'll yet. never call themselves anti-data privacy, but yes, yes. <laughs> some familiar names. I'm sure Facebook would be quite, Facebook would be quite um, torn, right? On the one hand, ByteDance is kind of eating their lunch with TikTok in a lot of ways. On the other hand, um, if it was comprehensive regulations that came out, it would fa affect them just as much, right? So that potentially. Right, right. But, you know, in the short term, I, that's why I see CFIUS as the most likely lever, even though it's kind of a weird lever, because, you know, it's not directly applicable in the sense that the investment wasn't in TikTok. It was in a piece of TikTok, right. but they're using that to kind of wield the data privacy sword against TikTok in a way that is a little bit clumsy, but I think it may get the job done because it's the easiest way to actually go after TikTok while at the same time addressing the data privacy issues. And maybe it sounds like, again, just reading the tea leaves from the media, that there might be something there. And and if not, you know, you could see Congress maybe changing CFIUS to allow this sort of thing to to take place. Although I think that would be a little bit harder. But if if the um if the mitigation if if we can't come to an agreement on you know mitigation of the risk under CFIUS and let's say we never get anywhere on all these other regulations, um, and CFIUS either tries to um you know unwind the transaction or somehow there's political pressure to force. Uh, TikTok to uh, ByteDance to divest TikTok. How do you see that playing out? As far as it's it, it, the problem is it's so big, right? right. It's such. I mean, who's going to buy but, but, it? And and it, and this is why I, I'm calling it such, such a clumsy mechanism. But but why it actually creates the the setting in which a settlement could take place. Mm. As I understand it, I mean, Cepheus's power, and I, I know a bit about that. Cepheus's power is to unwind a transaction. Well, the transaction was just musically. So you they would just mm. unwind the musically transaction. They wouldn't unwind, they couldn't force divestment per se of yeah. TikTok unless there's something, you know, that's not in the public materials that that I don't know about. So they would say you have to sell musically. Okay. Then they sell musically and nothing else happens. Then they're then TikTok or then Cepheus doesn't have any more jurisdiction over TikTok. And so so the 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 threat is not complete, which it often is in the CFIUS context. Usually, you know, what CFIUS is trying to do is unwind that transaction, but that's not what they're really trying to do here. They're trying to like the grinder yes, case. Exactly. The grinder case is a perfect yeah, example, right? They unwind yeah. the whole transaction, so you have to divest. Right. 
But here they don't really have, seem to have the power to unwind the whole transaction. So they can unwind part of the transaction, which isn't a real remedy, but it gives them a lot of leverage because I'm guessing that it would be very cumbersome and expensive and potentially very problematic to TikTok to unwind that part of the transaction. So TikTok has the incentive to sit there and try and work it out. On the other hand, you know, the government doesn't have as much power in these cases as it would normally, at least that's what it seems like, because they can't unwind the whole transaction. And so it's a little bit clumsy because the government can't quite do what it wants to do directly, which is essentially tell them, you know, either sell TikTok or change it in the following ways, because we can force you to sell TikTok if we want to. They can't quite do that. And so they're, they can't be as bossy for lack of a better word as they could if if they had the if they had the whole transaction in front of them and on the, on the other hand you know TikTok and ByteDance have a lot to lose if the government invokes the you know albeit limited power that it has over this if it invokes it it'll be very problematic for them and so they have the incentive to try and make the government happy rather than force it to do you know what it can do with respect to this transaction so that's i suspect why the dynamic under which these negotiations are taking place and each side has some leverage which is a little bit unusual when you're dealing with CFIUS because usually CFIUS has all the power yeah and you have it's so complicated not only would you have the issue of of how do you unwind music? How do you spin it out when it's probably tightly integrated and inseparable at this point, whether it's from software code to users that you acquired via music, do you have to give those up, right? And and at the same time, if you force the sale of TikTok through whatever means political or legislative or whatnot, or, um, judicial, I don't know, but if you could force a sale first, who's the buyer going to be? Right. It's a, it's, I've seen valuations of at least $50 billion for the company there's no private equity firms, especially with high interest rates these days, that's going to be able to raise funding to, to buy that, even a consortium. There's no strategic buyer that's going to buy that because I think that it's, first of all, it's too much, it's too much cash, even for Facebook or others to, to pay or to raise uh, without diluting their own stock from raising new funding. And I think it's, from what I understand, it raises antitrust issues potentially, right? Yep. There are, these companies are already being looked at as being too big. Right. So I don't see how a strategic buyer comes in. And then if you even if you spun off the US operation, I don't think TikTok is what it is without that algorithm. Yep. That that is and it's and it's the same as fun. I understand, I guess I wouldn't be a tech expert, but that same algorithm that's used for TikTok is used for all of ByteDance apps and other ones. So so imagine this Lemonade one that's coming out and it seems to be doing very well in the US now as well. And and ByteDance has many other apps in, in China. And I, for whatever reason, they're just really good at these algorithms, and and it's some some core technology of theirs. And I don't think you can sell TikTok without that algorithm. And at the flip side, I don't think China will let you buy that algorithm. Right. Um, so, and I don't see. I mean, you could maybe you, I, I imagine that you could have some kind of licensing arrangement, but I think that just gets really, really messy because that's the core IP that makes ByteDance so successful. And you can't just, you can't, in that sense, you can't break it up. Easily. Right. Right. And that, I mean, and, and that I, I think gets to the issue that, that, you know, that, that is led to where we are, which is there's no easy answer to this. I, I really think that it, it, on the one hand, you've got CFIUS with some limited power over it. You've got Congress talking about, you know, protecting data, but 
only certain types of data of US citizens, and that's probably not going to be a either a short-term or long-term solution. And so, you know, where do we go from here is kind of a hard question because maybe CFIUS resolves this, but if it doesn't, I, I have a hard time seeing how this resolves other than that TikTok just stays in business and the can gets kicked further down the road. Now, from your end, are you hearing anything about what, you know, how TikTok might respond in terms of will it go on a public relations offensive to try and, um, you know, turn public opinion in its favor? Because that also could get this to go away. I mean, Congress is obviously very responsive to public opinion. If if TikTok, and and I think that's also part of the reason that Congress hasn't done anything because, and, and what President Trump tried to do was, at least with many segments of the community, very unpopular, is TikTok going to try and take advantage of that to really turn public opinion against Congress for, for having gone after it? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I know historically Chinese companies have had a difficult time for legal issues and for probably political issue, concerns of lobbying in D.C. Right. I'm sure you've seen that as right. well. Um, I, I think so. That's always kind of a, a, a hard a hard thing to try to do. Historically, Chinese companies coming to the U.S. wouldn't, I don't think, ha- lo- try to lobby too much. Um, and if there was pressure ratcheted up against Chinese market entry into the U.S. politically or for other or any kind of anti-China trade sentiment, that sort of thing. Historically, like groups like the U.S. Um, Department of Commerce and other other groups which had a lot of business in China would lobby for um, kind of ratcheting down the, the rhetoric or, you know, uh, kind of uh, watering down legislation that was being proposed and so forth. Or, you know, a lot of these, as you know, a lot of these um, decisions on CFIUS and other things are, are, are subject to final presidential approval yeah. so that there'd be some back channel discussions on that, I think. And the idea is of, you know, keep the U.S.-China trade relationship on as level of, or a, as a, a, a peaceful of a plane as possible. Um, and, and, and it's good. What's good it, in that sense for Chinese companies in the U.S. is good for U.S. companies in China then. And I do see that that's definitely that, that source of kind of U.S. company lobbying, first of all, I don't think would apply as much in this case, of course, because TikTok, they had nothing in common with TikTok. And of course, we know Facebook is not exactly excited about TikTok being in the US. On the other hand, and nor is Facebook in China, right? So uh, on the other hand, I think the, the general US business lobby um, is a lot more hands-off these days on China issues, because I think they also see that it's too toxic to touch. Yeah, I mean, that, and, um, and I think that is kind of the dynamic in which TikTok found itself when it was at the congressional hearings back in March was that, you know, that you, you just kind of had to sit there and take it because one, you can get a word in edgewise, but two, um, public opinion just was not going to, you know, in some ways, I think a lot of the, um, the representatives who were there were kind of hoping that there'd be more fight back so that they could get some sound bites going toe to toe with, the CEO of TikTok. Um, so I guess. I think he got good training on that yeah. point. Don't be too pugnacious, I think is the yep. word. Uh, don't don't go in looking for a fight because you'll certainly yeah. get it. So and, and, and that was the one part I think he did do well in those hearings, but it was a no-win situation yeah. for, those, for him, I'm sure. All right. Well, any last words on this, Art? I think we've probably hashed out the TikTok situation as much <laughs> as we 
as 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 is worthwhile here, at least for now. I mean, I think this is our fourth episode on TikTok, so I'm guessing there'll be another. But um, any last words on TikTok or anything else relevant to the discussion? No, I just think it's fascinating. Um, it's uh, it's so it's it's a um, it's a microcosm of what's going on, you know, in the bigger economic relationship and the trade relationship. So uh, a lot of people are watching both sides of the Pacific, around in Europe, I'm sure, too, even what are they going to do over there? Um, so it's just fascinating. And um, I, I don't think anyone, as, we, as people listening can tell, I don't think anyone really knows how this is going to turn out, um, uh, but we just can, can watch. And, and it, issues, it raises a lot of interesting issues. First Amendment, you know, I had to go back to some of my old law school textbooks and and refresh my stuff about you know first amendment and free speech rights and stuff like that it's, i will say it's a beautiful thing as we talked about on the xiaomi case to see these this really am- amazing debate in the us about how this should work the rights and the dangers of setting precedents that may affect us companies us citizens i think it's a beautiful thing that we have we have this debate in the us and we take these issues so seriously. I agree. I mean, I actually was very heartened by all of the legislation that took place over some of the programs that the the Xiaomi case and the TikTok case and the WeChat case, Um, in part because it did kind of vindicate the rule of law. I mean, there were some real problems with Mm -hmm. some of those programs. And I I will say in in much of the national security context, I, I get disheartened because I think some serious issues get given short shrift by the judiciary. These were not, and I think that I think that was a you know it, it, they were as I said there was a lot on the Justice Department's plate in this litigation and some others to defend, but still I thought the courts performed quite well in taking these issues seriously because there really are some very serious issues here. Um, you did raise one thing in your discussion that I think may be an idea for a, a new episode. I, it will be interesting to see how, if and how Europe responds to any of this, because quite often some of these issues do wind up percolating over the Atlantic and and um, becoming hot issues there. I haven't seen anything about that yet. I don't know if you have, but I'm guessing it's no, coming I, soon. Yes, for sure. To a theater near exactly. you. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, great having you on the, on the show, and um, thanks for coming by. Hopefully, we'll get we'll entice you back at some point. My pleasure, Tim, and love to have you on again as All well right. on our well, show. Take care, Art, and um, take care, stay, Tim. Stay sanctions free, or I guess stay um, IEPA and CFIUS free, <laughs> and, and <laughs> sounds like a good right, strategy. Anti-social CCP free, I guess, is also <laughs> as long as we're doing hashtags. All right, right. Take care. Produced by HeartCast Media.